0: So, it's the 2nd of March, 2022, today. So When we do the chanting, whether it's the evening chanting or the morning chanting, what we're doing is cultivating this practice of buddha-anusatti, the recollection of the Buddha, and taking this recollection, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, as our meditation objects. And these are appropriate methods for people who have faith, who have this belief, this inspiration in the fully self-awakened Buddha. So when we have belief in him, then what is it that we believe? We believe that he was rightly awakened, that he had attained to the Dhamma, and that his mind was brought to purity. So we have faith that the Buddha was one who didn't have any defilements within his heart and that made him an arahant, someone far away from these defilements. And he awakened by himself. He had this profound kindness and compassion within his heart and these qualities were boundless. And so we have this faith in the Buddha and that no other person in the three worlds, could know these things, could awaken to the Dhamma like this. Even though they had very deep states of jhana, of the mental absorptions, they still weren't able to defeat the ignorance there within their hearts. They still couldn't give rise to that kind of wisdom. But the Buddha gained this by himself, and no one could do that before him. Even his disciples, who had a lot of barami, a lot of wisdom that they'd cultivated for a long time, even with that, they weren't able to gain this knowledge through their own means. They couldn't meet nibbana. And each person goes their own way, finding freedom from suffering. But no one could reach this, no one could awaken. It was only the Buddha who could. His disciples, his awakened disciples, the Savakas, they listened to his dharma or the dharma of other disciples. And that's what allowed them to gain the knowledge that um, gave them the means to completely cut the defilements off from their hearts. And so they too became Buddhas, the Savaka Buddhas. So Umpucca once gave a teaching He asked the question, well, isn't it possible for the Buddha to awaken in Thailand? And this was a very sharp teaching. When one listens to it, they may think, well, the Buddha, he awakened in India, didn't he? Or he awakened in his own mind. But the meaning of this is very deep. This awakening, this knowing to the Dhamma, attaining to the Dhamma, it can happen in any country if one walks this path of sila, samadhi, panya, of virtue, collectiveness and wisdom, if they train their minds. But initially we don't know about this path that leads us to freedom from suffering. Perhaps we have belief in the existence of heaven and hell, but this belief isn't sufficient to allow us to abandon unskillful deeds, The mind is still chaotic. We don't really see the drawbacks in these things. But one day, we do see the harm. We look at our mind and think, well, it's just so chaotic, it's it's so scattered, and there's so much suffering there within it, and we're not able to fix that suffering. We get really anxious to the point where we can't eat, we can't sleep we've never met this kind of suffering before in our lives so some people they experience this very early on in life as children and some people it's in mid-age some people it's towards the end of their life and what they're meeting with is this noble truth of suffering and see that dukkha is this way and this pushes them to find a path out of that suffering. Now if the Buddha hadn't awakened, or if he hadn't taught, then there wouldn't be any awakened disciples. And they wouldn't be able to teach in turn, and they wouldn't be able to uh, bring the buddhasasana down to the present day. And so we wouldn't have the means to find a path that allows us to be freed from suffering. When we have the suffering, then we look for a way out. We think for ourse- to ourselves, well, what should we do? How do we get freed from this? And then we meet with the teachings of the Buddha. And what did he teach us? He told us to cultivate skillfulness and merit, to abandon all harmful deeds, and to abandon selfishness. And the reason why things are a mess is because of the selfishness. And so we abandon this, abandon all unskillful deeds, abandon our wrong view and give rise to right view. So when we have this quality of virtue, and then we don't harm ourselves, we don't harm others, and we find for ourselves that sila, this virtue, has immense benefit and gives great value to us, it's a noble wealth. And so do we see that, that the wealth in this world, whether it's the cars or the houses that we have, no matter how big they are, they're still subject to danger. There may be earthquakes or floods or fires. There may be even a war that uh, comes up. And these things, which were once very highly developed, they can quickly become degenerate. And things are unstable in this way. And so this is a matter of external wealth. It's something that is subject to enemies, it's subject to dangers, things that can destroy it. And Sila, on the other hand, is an internal wealth and something that we should all feel proud in having whether we can keep the five precepts, or the eight, or the ten, or the 227 precepts, and that this sila gives us immense benefit. It gives us happiness of heart, and this is a noble wealth. And so the value of virtue is that of coolness, of nibbana, reaching peace. And so we bring our actions of body and speech to uh, a way that is... Settled, that isn't chaotic. But even though we do that, the mind is still frantic. When the sense organs meet with the external sense media, the eye sees a form, for example, or we hear a sound, there's an odor that comes in through the nose, and these go into the heart. And then we gain the feeling that this is me. This is something that belongs to me. It's liking and disliking that comes up, and then with this there are the things which obstruct peace of mind. These five hindrances: is this delight and sensuality, ill will, anger, annoyance, the mind being scattered, or doubts, or drowsiness. So for practitioners, those who practice the Dhamma, then will notice that when we receive a sense object, one of these hindrances will come up. When there's something that we like, then the mind becomes pleased. And something that we dislike, it becomes displeased. But even though we may experience things that are pleasing, these two are the causes for the heart to not be peaceful. And it doesn't really matter whether we experience something that we like or we dislike. The heart is not at peace. So the Buddha taught us to create merit and to do skillful deeds. So there's dana, generosity, is offering land for monasteries and offering various buildings, the huts, dharma halls, jetties. And this is all meritorious. And some people, they do a lot of this. They have a lot of kindness and compassion there within their hearts, and this compels them to help out. And when they have this merit in their heart, then they spread it to other beings as well and do this every single day. When they see other people doing good things, then they're pleased by that. They rejoice in that. And in society, they help out as well. But they don't help in a way that harms other beings. They don't send weapons, for example. They don't harm each other. But they are generous and kind in a way that brings about peace. So whichever place has sila, dhamma, has virtue, that place will be peaceful. So we should try to give rise to this and the other forms of merit. Listening to the Dhamma, conversing on the Dhamma, this too is meritorious. And when we develop these, then we'll bring this merit and skillfulness to completion. We have faith. And people who have faith, they're just naturally very generous. They naturally keep the precepts. They're interested in training in samadhi. When we train in samadhi, this is a part of the Noble Eightfold Path. We're walking on this path of sila, samadhi, and banya. So we're giving rise to right view. And when we gain right view, then we realize that the self, this I, is not actually something real. All of the proliferations of the mind, these are just illusionary. There's this maya, this illusion. And all of these things, all of the proliferations of the mind, it's like a play or a movie. And there are many different actors playing different roles, but none of that is real. And so in the present moment, we experience all of these sense objects. And then avicca, ignorance, provokes the mind into proliferating. But none of that is real. It's all maya. It's all a delusion. And so we should understand this, understand these things as being illusionary. And really all of the uh, samuti or conventions, these are all illusions. And so it's the illusion of self, of me and mine, that creates so much chaos. But if the mind is peaceful, like when we chant or we develop this meditation of Buddha Nusati, the recollection of the Buddha, through chanting itipiso. So. As we do this, then the mind gathers together, gathers together, and then joy arises. Happiness comes up through Samadhi. Both the body and the mind feel very light and bright. And it may feel as though we're sitting in midair. And when Samadhi gathers, it can gather together and become compact in various parts in the body, in the forehead, for example. So we shouldn't allow that to be a cause of concern. We just know what's happening. And at that point, there's no need to go back and look at the breath. We look at that place and place our attention there where samadhi has become compact and gathered together. If we start to proliferate, then we come back to chanting be so. Or looking at the breath or reciting Buddha, And all of these are skillful means to bring the mind to peace. And when the mind is peaceful, then it's in the state of samadhi, isn't it? And we're walking on this bright, this noble path. So we give rise to right view, and there's right intention, the intention of renunciation, of non-harming, of non-ill-will. We have sila as well. We have the mind set in the right way. And so we're, by doing all of these things, we're developing our meditation. And we carry on doing this until peace arises and gathers together into samadhi. So where is it that wisdom arises? or well, the things that the mind is deluded in. Well, the thing that the mind is deluded in is really this form, this body. Because when we see something, what we see is forms. And when we hear a sound, this comes into this form. We smell through this form, we touch through this body. And so we are deluded by this, that there's a me and a mine here. But when we can separate these things out, then the heart becomes peaceful. And so we should contemplate right at this point. And this is something that Venerable Ajahn Chah emphasized, to take the peaceful mind to contemplate the body. So how is it that we contemplate this body? Well, we can view it in terms of the 32 parts, for example, and place these in different heaps. We pluck out in our mind's eye all of the hairs and then place this in the heap. And when the mind is peaceful, we can ask ourselves, looking at that heap of hair, well, who are you? Are you me? Do you belong to me? And it doesn't give any answer. We can take out our nails and put them in another heap. And so this is a means of contemplating this form, this body. And we can view these as being elements as well, just these natural elements. And teeth, for example. Perhaps we see old people who don't have many teeth, or young people as well. And we can, when we take these teeth out of the body, we ask ourselves, well, who are you? Who do you belong to? Are you male? Are you female? And they don't respond. So these 32 parts that we've studied about, that we know, and that we chant, um, we bring these up as recollection and as uh, perception. We can separate them out into different heaps. All the hard things we can put in one heap, like the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, the bones, the heart, the liver, the various organs, we put this into one heap. The blood, the other liquids, we put this into another heap. And the fire, we place that in one heap and the air in another heap. And so we separate these 32 parts out in this way into four heaps and contemplate them. And when we do this, we separate them out and carry on breaking them apart. And we'll see that there's really nothing there. They're empty. When we have samadhi, then we can contemplate in this way and gain uh, this realization of emptiness. And the mind gains knowledge that, ah, there really isn't a self here, there's no me, there's no mine. We have been deluded for such a long time, we've been tricked by these illusions for so long, but we understand that really they're not that way. And then the mind experiences vimutti, its liberation. And so the Buddha taught us to see the body as just being a body, not a being, not an individual, a self, a me, or a you. And when the mind becomes empty, then that's how we perceive the body and see that there's no self there within it. It doesn't have an I there, a me there. And there's great happiness that arises. And it's not a happiness that comes from finding pleasure, in sights or sounds or odors, tastes, tactile sensations. But it's a pleasure which is above the world. It's lokutara It abides above these sense objects. So in each day, we receive all of these sense objects and the mind clings to them. It clings to the world. It believes that there's a me and a mind there that this is me or this is my family, and this is my child or my grandchild. We take all of these things personally. And when this is the case, then there's constantly this clinging, this attachment, which gives rise to love and hate. When we receive something, then we're happy. But when we become separated from that, then we suffer. If we want something and we get it, then we become joyful. But when we have to be separated, then problems arise. And this is how it is. So the Buddha, he was able to reflect upon this when he was still a prince. That he had everything that he could want externally. And so why did he have to leave all of those things? Well, he had already lost his mother, and this was an experience that went very deep into his heart, this knowledge of separation and how that causes suffering. And he asked, well, why is it that we need to be separated from one another? And so he went out to find a path, a freedom from this, until he found not-self, he found Nibbāna, and then he came back to teach his family, to teach his disciples, so that they could too could find freedom from birth and death, and freedom from the deluded heart. Because it's this ignorance there within our hearts that brings us to be born and to die over and over, and to constantly be experiencing suffering. And the amount of tears that we cry in the cycle of birth and death is more than all the water in the oceans." So when we understand that, then there's a sense of chastened dispassion that arises. So when the mind is peaceful, then we take that peace to contemplate the body like this. Taking these 32 parts, putting them into the categories of the four elements, and separating them out until they're empty. And that's all it takes for great joy and inner contentment to arise. That which comes from understanding the Dhamma. So when we experience this, then the faith that we have becomes very firm. So like we have this faith to sit in meditation for 30 minutes, or maybe an hour, or two hours, or three hours. And when we sit, then there's a sense of happiness that arises. And this happiness grows and grows until it fills up the heart. And then we experience emptiness. But this is emptiness through samadhi. But when we place wisdom there as well, then there's another kind of emptiness that arises. And that's the emptiness that comes from understanding the Dhamma. And even though this may happen in just a flash, the joy that can come up can last for three days and three nights. Or it can even last for an entire year. If the energy of our samādhi really comes together and this wisdom comes up. So I ask for all of you to practice in this way. To do this a lot. To develop this a lot. And when we gain this insight, then our faith becomes firm. And we gain great confidence that this really is the path that will take us to the ending of suffering. That will allow us to extract... Sakaya the self-view from our hearts. And so Sakaya it's a view that's firmly and deeply embedded in the heart, and it has been for a very long time now. Taking things as being me and mine, it's very deeply stuck there, and something that we can't take out if we don't walk this path of sila, samadhi, and panya. But when we see into the Dhamma, then joy arises. And this joy, it's one of the bhojangas, one of the factors for awakening. So when we listen to these different factors, it's just a matter of theoretical knowledge. But if we're able to actually practice and let go, then we see these in our own experience. It's faith that comes up, this joy that arises, the mind becomes still. And wisdom comes up. We're able to know things in time and contemplate into the Dhamma, this Vijaya, this uh, analysis of Dhamma. So we can chant in order to bring the mind to peace. And when there's peace, then wisdom can arise. In the beginning, we have faith. Um, and there's effort there as well. But we may also have to force ourselves to practice too. But when our samadhi becomes good, then we don't have to force ourselves anymore. The mind just volunteers to practice all by itself. There's peace in the heart and it just wants to walk in meditation, wants to sit in meditation. And when, even though we might have a lot of work to do, when it comes time to practice, we can put all of that down. And we know that this now is the time to develop peace of mind, to bring our minds to samadhi. And so we lay all that aside, and we come to watch this in-breath, the out-breath. We can recite buddha along with that. And these are all methods to have mindfulness here in the present moment. And when that's the case, then the mind will come to peace, and there's no need to doubt these things. So this is something that we should do, something that we should develop. Some people like to contemplate how life is not sure, but death is sure. And through that, the mind enters into peace. Or they recollect Buddha or the Buddha to bring the mind to stillness. So whatever it is that works for us, we should do that a lot and do it very frequently. This object that when we contemplate and reflect on brings about peace and happiness, then we bring that up a lot. And this is the very peak of merit. So when we contemplate the body, then the mind becomes bright. We see the body as merely the body. And the mind, the heart, it leaves this world. And so the world, it is these sense impressions. And the things that we're deluded in is these sense impressions. But when the mind is relieved of that delusion, then it rises above them. And rises above them, then it becomes Lokutara, it abides above the world. And so, Dharma practitioners, they want to know what this is like, this Lokutara. They want to experience that there within their hearts. And so, in order to experience that, we need to extract the delusion there, and then we'll see and say emptiness. But normally, we take things in terms of self. We take things as being Nicca, Sukha, Atta, as being constant and pleasurable and self. And so we should contemplate the opposites, contemplate things as being Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. And these are the objects of Vipassana, of insight. And so we can take this body, and separate it out with the 32 parts and then the four elements, and then separate those out even further into emptiness. And here we see into anatta, and then it comes back together again, and the body comes back. And then through the power of our samadhi, we pull it apart again, and it decays, and it comes back. And so there's arising, persisting, and ceasing, arising, persisting, ceasing. We carry on practicing like this, doing this very frequently. So we'll see that all of the practice that we've been doing from the very beginning, it really does bring results because we see that fruiting right before our eyes. All of the goodness that we have created, all of the generosity, the virtue, the meditation that we've been doing for a long time, we see the fruits of that within ourselves. Perhaps we've listened about uh, these states before. But that knowledge isn't yet clear within our minds. But when wisdom arises, then it becomes clear. This wisdom that comes up through our cultivation, through meditation. And when it's like this, then no one needs to coerce us. No one needs to tell us to do walking or sitting meditation, because we have that faith there within our hearts to do this. And so we really set our hearts on practicing on meditation. So may you train yourselves like this. Do this a lot. Develop this a lot. And if we have a lot of old barami that we've collected before, these spiritual virtues, then sometimes it can take no long time at all for clear understanding to arise for the mind to be able to abide above the world. For some people this isn't difficult. But we need to put in our efforts to carry on going, to not retreat. We see how some trees that we plant, it can be five years or ten years until they bear fruit. But once they do, we experience the happiness of that. So our practice is like that. When it starts bearing fruit, then there's great happiness that comes up. And we see that this is the most valuable thing there is, and there's nothing in the world that can compare to it. And when we understand things in this way, then we're able to put down all the things in this world and really focus on this practice, give ourselves time to practice. As we do this, in the end, we will see the Dhamma with clarity, We'll be able to destroy all of our wrong views. We'll be able to cut off uh, this self-view and skeptical doubts and attachments to rites and rituals. And we have this energy there to sit, to walk. So this is something that we should do a lot to really set ourselves on this practice. So may you be intent on this, and may you see the Dhamma, And may all of you attain to the Dhamma.